Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast, where we uncover the stories that shaped the business owner. Brought to you by Lisa Settle and Isla O'Hara. Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast. This is podcast number five. My name is Lisa Settle. And my name is Isla O'Hara. And we'll be your hosts for today. The Business Diaries is a quarterly storytelling event featuring five storytellers from the business community. Each event has a theme which our storytellers base their stories upon. It's always an inspiring evening. The stories are always interesting, sometimes hilarious, and it would also be true to say the odd tear has been shed. The podcast is designed to discuss the stories in a little more depth and get some valuable tips from the business owner. Today we are revisiting the theme, Decisions, Decisions, and we welcome our storyteller, Paul Andrews. Hi, Paul. Hello Thanks there. Thanks for coming in to chat with us today. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's good. Paul, it has to be said that you've been a fabulous supporter of the Business Diaries from day one, which Lisa and I are very grateful. Mm. Thank you. But what is it that you like so much about storytelling? Um, I, I think storytelling, and this is going to sound weird, storytelling's authentic, even though half of it's fabricated. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I was, you know. You do uh, get carried away. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, but the thing is, it, it's, um, it, it adds that humanness to something mm. do you know because it comes from the heart and 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 our stories get embellished with, with age but that makes them more entertaining and and but I, it's just that element of humanness that i think that it brings to it that isn't a scripted um business pitch or something like that it's yeah. a real genuine yeah. story that you know that people want to part with and uh, uh, and that's why i'd I like and it. that that for us Sometimes it's quite hard to get across to people because they, mm. some people think that they're going to rock up yeah. with um, a presentation yeah. and make it very businessy fired. And it's like, no, yeah. we want you to. We don't want you to have notes or a presentation. Yeah. If it's a true story, yeah, um, or slightly embellished, <laughs> but if it's a true story, you will remember that. And yeah. you don't need notes, and you will present it better because you're not trying to think of the next thing. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I understand that you were trained by one of my public speaking heroes, Dale Carnegie. Yeah, I, I, um, I've, I've always told stories, yeah. Um, but many, many years ago, I went on a Dale Carnegie course and it, it just resonated with me for some of the reasons that Lisa just said. But the fact that it, won, it was one of the first things I ever did where I, I was a natural at it, if you see what I mean. Um, so, and then they asked me to become a Dale Carnegie trainer and I went through the Dale Carnegie training program. Um, and, but I didn't actually work for them for very long, um, doing training courses because I decided to do my own. Um, so I spent a number of years teaching people public speaking mm. outside the Dale framework but but kind of using the Dale framework because it works yeah so before we recap on your story tell us about your entrepreneurial background I know that your mum's very enterprising yeah still to this day even in her 90s and she came from an entrepreneurial background so yeah. Yeah. Fill us in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, how far back do you want to go? My, gra my great, <laughs> great, great, my great grandmother, um, Granny Devoy, were, was um, a maven of the uh, 
West London uh, business community, and she ha- she owned a number of businesses at the start of the 20th century, before the First World War, uh, ironmongery businesses, uh, shops and stuff like that. My gran, my nan, um, Lily Rebecca, she owned um, uh, uh, a sweet shop, a newsagent's, and then my mum had a, a chain of uh, hairdressing salons. Mm-hmm. But my dad had his own business too, my dad was a builder. Uh, and he had his own building business, so I really did have a background in um, in uh, entrepreneurship, I guess we call it now, but in in small business. Yeah. And I, as far back as I can remember, I always just assumed that I would have my own business at some point. Yeah. I just did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so the theme of the evening was decisions, decisions. Mm. Your story was about your first job and how yeah. you made the decision to take every opportunity that came your way. Guide us through what happened when you left school. OK, well, funnily enough, it's coming up to the anniversary of that, which is 50 years ago wow. Well, uh, when I started work. and Are I worked. be able to remember this story? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I basically worked in a paper mill at Turkey Mill. And the first uh, day or so that I was there, the uh, shift foreman, uh, a chap called Arthur Ells, called me over and and said, listen, I'm going to give you some advice. Okay, yeah, all right, well. He said, "Um, basically, first learn your own job and then learn somebody else's. And, you know, that that simple statement just stuck with me and it resonated with me so much. And I've I've just used that for the next 50 years. Yeah, fantastic advice. It was the most powerful piece of advice I've ever been given. It really was. And it's just so simple. But I took it to heart and I thought, do you know what, you're right. It just made sense to me. Yeah, I I think my first experience um, or in my first job, I remember making that decision to learn something else, another aspect of the job. Mm. And it was really strange because in doing so, it suddenly became my department Mm. and I became the go-to person. And it was like, hang on a minute, that's not my job. But it soon can happen and then you become invaluable because you know how to do something else. Absolutely. Um, And so that was really good advice. So um, that happened to you Mm. with the technology side of things. So I, I wish that people could see us because on the night we had the whole arm actions <laughs> and everything that went with it which was hilarious but obviously we can't show you that there but tell us what happened well basically it was a couple of years after that and i i'd by a whole series of uh incidents and uh coincidences i ended up as a computer operator mm. and i was on uh, i was on the day shift uh at one stage and some <laughs> guys turned up from what was then still called the GPO mm. <laughs> uh, to install some equipment in the computer room and nobody else in the room was interested you know they just didn't want to know what they were doing so I was dispatched just to look at watch them while they were doing it basically to make sure they didn't steal anything or whatever mm. yeah uh, but it, uh, being an inquisitive kind of person I'm going well what are you doing you know well, why are you doing that so the chap and, and one of the things I found, and and it was one of the things I tried to raise about this, is is that if you ask people questions, most people in the world of work are really interested in imparting their knowledge. Mm. They 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 find great joy in telling you that they know something. Yes. Yeah? yeah. If if you don't try and tell them how to do something, yeah. So I'm just going, what are you doing? And the guy said, oh, I'm in, I'm installing a, a modem. I go, what's that? What's that then? He said, it's a modulator, demodulator. Oh, fly me. Well, what's it do then? And he said, well, it, it takes a, an analog signal and it converts it into a <laughs> into a digi- yeah into a digital signal. signal. And I went, right, okay. And why does it do that? He said, so it means that 
somebody can use the computer, the mainframe, from a remote location and they can send uh, programs to the computer that can execute uh, remotely. Well, wow, okay. I said, how fast is it? And he went, well, 300 bode. And I said, what's a bode? And he said, 300 <laughs> bits per second. Oh, okay. So you send the signal remotely, it comes into the computer, and you can you can run a job. Yeah, he said, so you don't have to put the punch cards in the machine locally, you don't have to run a, uh, a punch paper tape. They can enter it from anywhere there are, there are with a telephone. Fantastic, brilliant. So I just, I just kind of took that on board. And then I carried on with my life, and uh, I went through a series of shifts. So I did the evening shift next and the night shift next. And the next time I ended up on day shift again, uh, we had a visitation from the great and the good, uh, the mayor of Maidstone and um, the leader of Kent County Council and the IT manager all rocked up into um, into the computer room. And Ron, who was the shift leader uh, of the computer operators, gave them a tour of all the equipment until they got to this rack of kit and none of them knew what it was because they hadn't been involved. So Ron just went, I don't know what that is. So I went, well, I do. And they went, oh, can you explain what it is? I went, yeah, <laughs> that is a modulator modem. And they went, what's one of those? And I said, well, it modulates an- analogue signals into digital signals. And they went, oh, wow. And I went, and it runs at 600 baud. And if you don't know, that's 600 bits per second. And what it means is you could da 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 So I just regurgitated what the bloke had told me, basically. So they all went, oh, that's really interesting, yada, yada, yada. And they all cleared off. The computer operations manager came back into the room and he went, I didn't know you knew about networks. And I went, oh, yeah. He said... <laughs> Well, we've been advertising for a network controller and you know all about it. Yeah. So they gave me a job as a network controller, um, which, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> Had you stepped into the deep end or did you cope? Well, no, because, you, you know, the funny thing is, all the way through my career, uh, you, you can take this whichever way you want, <laughs> I, I've kind of blagged what you're doing, you know, because it's a learning experience. And with technology... There was never, for most of my career, there was never any formalised training in technology. And it was, I mean, not being, I know that you're going to laugh, but it was early days. It was, it was very early days. You were start of the journey, weren't you? It was wild, it was wild west. Nobody knew anything, you know, so there was nobody to come along and go, you're doing that wrong, because Mm. most of us were just learning as we went along. And as long as you asked someone that kind of knew half what they were doing, Mm. you were most of the way there. And it was pretty basic stuff as well. Let's not get carried away here. It wasn't really very difficult. It was a telephone, a, a, a box, you know, and some plugs. Um, so the the beauty of it is is that you learnt as you went as along, you went and, along. You, and you yeah. learnt by mistakes, and you tried things, and if it didn't work, you tried something else, and if you got stuck, you rang someone and you asked them, and they went, well, I don't know, try that, um, yeah. bang it, see if that works, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, turn it off and turn it on again, exactly, and and, and you know, and I just kind of learnt as I went along. Mm. So how did that first job help you then shape the next step in your career? Well, well, it was interesting because. So I moved from computer operations into into network control. Um, but then I actually got a job back as computer operations manager. And, and I got a job doing that because I knew the network side of it, but they didn't have a network. So they wanted a computer operations manager that knew how to put a modem in and what a modem was, which you, you will remember is a modulator, demodulator. Yeah. Um, so I got 
I got that kind of promotion working for a different organisation because of the knowledge I gained that they didn't have, yeah? Mm -hmm. And that was a theme, really, through my whole career. So having done that and, and built, I built a network there of remote, uh, terminals. It was a retail operation. It was Mossbros, actually, okay. if you really want to know. Mm -hmm. I, I worked at head office of Mossbros, and they had stores then, uh, big stores, big um, department stores in Manchester, Leeds, and, uh, and things like that. And we connected them all to, the, uh, to a computer system. Um, and I moved from there to work for an American oil company that wanted to do something similar, but slightly different. Um, but because my knowledge was roughly in the right area... And, and the thing was, the thing was all the way through this, there wasn't a lot of competition. There weren't many people about that had had experience of doing these things because people have a tendency to stick to what they know, mm. whereas I always had a tendency to move to what I didn't know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and get bored very quickly with what I did know mm. and move on to what I didn't know. And that may sound a bit silly, but that that really was what drove my career yeah, well, and why it changed. It? It's, yeah. it's stepping out of your comfort zone yeah. because that, your little circle, is no longer interesting. And, and, and what, what you're doing is adding a new bit of experience around the periphery of what you know mm. and expanding your knowledge by just moving it out a little bit and moving it out a little bit until suddenly you look back and you think, I'm doing something completely different to what I started doing. Yeah. yeah? But it wasn't painful and it wasn't difficult because you expanded... A few yeah. steps at a time. Uh, yeah, it's only only diverting your journey yeah. very slightly, isn't it? Absolutely. And basically, I just did some daft things sometimes. You know, like somebody would say, "So I worked. I worked for a company called Dresser Industries, which are an oil field supply company." Uh, and we were based in Knightsbridge, and I ran the European data network, okay? And we had this network of stuff. And I was talking to a guy, one of the engineers, one day from Western Union, mm. and I said. We were talking about modems. So this will get a little bit technical, but it's not really because it's really old hat these so days. Would, stay awake. Uh, and I said, you know, that modem is running quite a high speed. Um, but when I was testing it the other day, I found a channel on the side. And he went, oh, yeah, they've all got side channels um, that you can use to loop back the other end. I said, so what does it do when you're not doing that? He said, nothing, it's just there. So I said, if I plugged something in that, could I plug something in the other end and do something with it? He went, yeah. So what I did is I plugged a teletype into it at one end and then I flew to France, which is where the other end was, and plugged one in the other end and we could send messages on a teletype, okay? Now, that might, that sounds really trivial and all the rest of it, but that was a big deal then because mm. we had telexes. We had yeah. telex machines that we had with to do paper. that with. with. With paper tape and Pipes, all kinds yeah. of stuff. And yeah. all I did was go, typed, hello, Jean, are you all right? And he went... Good morning, Paul. I'm fine. There you go. Don't need a telex. We've got that. Mm. And everybody thought that was unbelievably exotic. Oh, that's amazing. When you <laughs> yeah. think of the, the telex, how yeah. you, used, you have to dial, yeah. dial, up, dial it, it up. And yeah. you type everything, and yeah. the piece of paper would come out all in a long yeah. ticker tape type thing, didn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And then someone in the office would trip over it and yeah. rip it. And rip it, and you'd start oh. again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it used to be awful. Yeah. yeah. I'm feeling so young right now. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, oh. So, yeah, so uh, all of those kind of experiences just fed into then moving on and doing the next thing. Yeah, so, I mean, they are all corporate things. So, mm. so far, that's not um, working for yourself. Mm. Do you, Did you feel that you fitted in okay there or was there always that 
Well, there, there were there were two things. <laughs> in retrospect, this all sounds incredibly clever and everything, but at the time it wasn't. I was just doing stuff basically. Mm-hmm. When I was working at Dresser. Uh, that was based in Knightsbridge. I'm a bit of a pretentious git, okay? And I didn't want to live in a slum, so I'd, I'd rented a flat in South Kensington. And the rent on the flat was more than I earned a week. Okay? Uh, so in order to get around that, I also worked in the evenings as a contractor. So I was working at the NatWest Data Centre in Wheelston as a computer operator in the evenings, and then I also worked for Gulf Oil on a night shift at the same time. So for a period of something like 16 weeks, I didn't actually go to sleep because I had three shifts. So I had my day job and then I was working freelance on an evening shift and a night shift at two so different places. So you didn't get to be in the flat that you were working your butt so off to pay for? So the basically. flat I was paying for, I didn't see because <laughs> I couldn't go there because I was at work. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Brilliant. And... Um, but the thing about that was, is the two freelance jobs I had were in areas that I didn't have any experience. Mm. It, bizarrely, I was working uh, at Barclays. I was working in the print room at their computer centre. Mm. Uh, sorry, uh, NatWest. Uh, I was working in the print room at their computer centre, which was just a nothing job. I was just on an evening shift, just printing, doing print jobs on the computer. It was easy. Mm. But then I worked for Gulf Oil on the night shift, and I was I was part of an. Uh, uh, an operations team working on an IBM mainframe, uh, which I hadn't worked on before. I'd always worked on Honeywell or ICL mainframes. And so I didn't have no, I had no knowledge of this thing at all, but it didn't matter because there were other people there and I was just mm. swiveling around. But then they got to a point one night where I arrived to do my shift and nobody else turned up. Mm. Like, Blimey, I've got to run this on my own. And I, you know, I mean, I knew my way around computers, but I didn't know the command structure or JCL or anything for an IBM 158 mainframe. Um, so I just went, winged it, really. Mm. Um, and then I rang a couple of people that I knew and went, uh, how do you do that? And they went, oh, well, on our machine, you do this. So I'll try it and it didn't work. And I go, oh, I've got an error code. And I go, well, try this. You know, and you just experimented. And I managed to get through the shift and I managed to run all the jobs. Um, and in the morning, the the uh, the manager came in and I said, oh, I've got to go because I've got to go to work. Mm. <laughs> um I said, I think I've done everything, but nobody else turned up last night. And they were really appreciative, and they gave me a bonus and said thank you and all the rest of it. And, of course, all of that just went on my CV. So it it just looked like I had tons of experience of of all kinds of things, which was all true at a basic level, basically. You you have, in fact, shared a second story Mm. with Mm. us when you kindly stood in for one of our speakers who was unwell and the theme for that evening was embracing change yeah so you shared a story which was in fact the end of your corporate life yeah yeah big time (laughs) so tell us about that story um uh, basically i was by then i was working for an investment bank and uh, i was uh head of technology uh, at the bank so i wasn't really a techie anymore and um i got a phone call uh one early hours of Monday morning, so Sunday night, early hours of Monday morning, uh, about two in the morning, I got a phone call from my guys at work saying, we've got a massive problem here, uh, everything's down, um, people are going bananas, we've got a big job on with Tokyo and they can't get through and uh, you, you better come in because everybody's gone nuts. So I got in the car and I drove, we were based in Old Bailey, 
um, in Ludgate Hill. Um, I drove to work because it was the early hours in the morning. I could I could get there in the car because I normally went by train. Uh, and I arrived at work, and my boss was there. His boss was there. Uh, that at the time I worked for Goldman Sachs, or whatever. Uh, at the time it was a partnership, and the partner in charge of London um, um, was there, and. Um, they were all going bananas. They were all just screaming and shouting. And there was a bloke who I didn't recognise sat on the floor crying. I mean, he was literally, you know, he was crying. Uh, who's he? And I said, well, he, he's a mercury engineer. He's the one that caused all of this. At which point they all started again. I, I, I can't do it on you the podcast. You can't repeat the words. I yeah. can't repeat the words, but they weren't very Suffice nice. Suffice to say they were very cross. Yeah, they were incredibly cross with him and they were threatening to do things with rusty razor blades to oh. bits of his anatomy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, and the guy was in tears and they're going, do you know what, we've lost millions of pounds, it's all your fault. And I'm like, oh, 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 you know, what, what has happened? Can, can somebody rational just tell me what has happened? When you went into the data centre room, we had a security door, and each of us had a, 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 an electronic device we wore on our belt, which activated the door if you were accredited to go in, okay? So my night shift uh, manager had walked to the door. We had a problem with something. He walked to the door. The door opened. He walked through. The engineer was stuck outside. He didn't realise it was a token, so he just looked either side of the door for a button, saw a button, hit it, expecting it to open the door, and it was actually the emergency power-off button. Mm. So he killed the electricity to the whole data centre, okay? And for some reason, they couldn't get it to come back on. At which point, my boss, John D. the third, seriously, uh, had gone absolutely bananas, and he had rung Eddie Nixon, who was the chairman and chief executive of IBM UK, and asked Eddie to deliver a brand-new mainframe that morning so that we could continue operating because we couldn't get these ones to work. That was the situation when I arrived. And there's all this screaming and shouting and crying and people blaming each other and pointing fingers at each other and getting really upset. And I go, look... There's got to be a reason why this has happened. We've tried everything. And John Woolman, who's my uh, night shift manager, I said, John, what's going on? I don't know, mate. I, I, can't, I can't get any of the electricity back. I mean, you, you tried all the trip switches. Yeah, we've done everything. We've looked at everything. We can't do anything. And I thought, well, this is weird. Well, you know, I can understand that you might blow something, but, it, you know, at worst, it's going to be a fuse that you've blown, you know. So I'll go to look at the fuse board and... It's all on, and there's no fuses blown or anything. It's just weird. Um, and this is where sometimes when you've done things that are outside of your normal experience, that they become useful. Because I told you the story about having worked on an IBM mainframe, yeah? Um, well, we had an IBM mainframe. And I just started to think about it. And one of the things that had struck me about the IBM mainframe that was different to the machines I'd worked on, is it was three-phase electricity. Right. Okay. I thought, it's three-phase. That fuse board is not a three-phase fuse board. So where is the power to this machine? So I'm walking around the room. They're still all outside shouting and screaming and all the rest of it. I'm walking around this room, and eventually I open one of the cabinets of the machine, and there 
is an on, is um, a trip switch in the off position. Off position. Oh. <laughs> so I go on, and everything goes mm, oh. and starts working. <laughs> and everyone's going, "What's that noise?" Yeah, what's, at what's which point everybody looks round and goes quiet, and I just walk out of the room, and I I just tosses. <laughs> <laughs> I walked off and went home. Um, and when I got to work at like seven o'clock the next morning, there was a note on my desk and it said that Doncaster would like to see you. So I, I walked up there and I walked into his office. He didn't even look up. He didn't look up. He went, uh, we, we had a word and we just wanted to say f thank you for last night. No, he didn't use the word thank you. We just wanted to give you something for last night. And he passed me an envelope. He didn't even look at me. And I, I took the envelope and, and I went out and opened the envelope and it was a cheque for 20 grand. I don't want that. So I went back in and I went, what's that for? And it, what? I said, what's that for? He said, well, you know, because you saved it last night. I went, but you lot were ridiculous. You were utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. You, you know, a bunch of grown men screaming and shouting. Nobody thought this through. In any way, shape, or form, because everybody panics and got stupid. And blaming each other. Yeah, and you're blaming each other. You know, that's just crap. Just being aggressive. Yeah. I said, I don't want your check. And at that point, I, I just thought, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. These people are idiots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't care how much they earn. They're just not very bright. You know, it's all screamy, shouty nonsense. So I tore the check up, quit, and I left. And, and that was that. And that was that. And, and that was that. Yeah. And you've gone on to your entrepreneurial path at that point and you've become you're the ceo of jobs in kent yeah. you've got many interesting other venues on the go you've got the radio station mm. and shows and media company in the co-working space you're involved in so much and you still are um you're still going what i'm curious to know what does retirement look like for you have you ever contemplated that do you know what that word is yeah Let's well the, funny enough you've caught me at a moment when I've been thinking heavily about this because of cer uh, certain things that are going on right now, um, you know, we live in unprecedented times at the moment. Mm. There's so many things going on. And um, it, it's been quite far. I didn't tell this story because it hadn't happened at the time, but this happened recently, that um, I've been getting these notifications uh, from the Department of Work and Pension that says you ought to check your pension because you're at retirement age. I'm 65 this year, okay? And uh, it says you need to check your pension. So I thought, okay, well, I'll check my pension, whatever. I don't really care about my state pension. I've got my own pension, but, you know, I'm having my money back, that's for sure, yeah? And you owe me a bus pass too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to see you <laughs> <laughs> um, So I went in to check my pension, and I got all these errors. So I rang to say, look, I've been trying to check it and get errors. And he said, yeah, well, you, you've you put your um, your um, uh, national insurance number in, um, which is what we asked you to do, but it hasn't computed it properly because um, you've got the wrong dates in there. I said, well, I didn't put any dates in. I just put my national insurance number. And they said, yeah, well, it, for some reason, we've, we seem to think that you started work in 1969, which you can't have done because you would have been 14. And I went, well, that's right. That's when I started work. And I went, but that's illegal. I went, it wasn't it then. is now. It wasn't then. <laughs> Although it probably was actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I was only I was only like two months short of my fifteenth birthday. Mm. Um and they said, Oh right, okay. Well, 
what we've found is that you've basically got 50 years of unbroken national insurance payments. Well, yeah, because I've always paid my national insurance. Mm. Um, and, and they said, well, that means that your pension would be £298 a week. And I went, well, whoopee do. And they said, you can't get £298 a week, obviously, because it's capped at 168 So I went, right. So you've told me I've paid all this money in, but I can't have it because... You've got an arbitrary cap. Yeah, fairly much. Well, great. Thank you very much for that. That was useful. Um, so I, I've been... Uh, I, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you can do about that. No, no, there's a cap. The, the, you, there's a cap on how much you can actually earn uh, as a pension, from a state pension, right. a state pension, yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So, mm. But what I did find out was that I don't have to pay national insurance anymore once I've reached state pension age. But what I also found out was that despite telling me all of this, because I was born after April this year, I can't claim my pension anyway because they've now moved it to 66, not 65. So I've got to wait a year. Another year, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, anyway. What on earth will you do with yourself? I know, I know. <laughs> but but I am actually considering retiring. Oh, um, just because, you know, I've... I, I, there's so many things going on, you know. We've we've had Brexit, and now we've got coronavirus, and and um, uh, lo- the the recruitment world is changing so drastically, yeah, you know. Yeah, and we're coming we're coming under attack from not only from uh, Chinese companies like Indeed, but you got Google, you got LinkedIn, you got Facebook, you got all kinds of things happening, mm-hmm. and it's just so difficult to keep up with it. And I'm just thinking, you know, maybe now's the time to just go and. Yeah play golf i've never played golf in my life but you know and also you are a granddad now and i am a granddad and i would like to see my grandson a lot more um and they live in france so that's um you know you have to do that holiday thing yeah Yeah. he's been allergic to exactly yeah so i'm thinking about it well thank you very much for sharing your story with us paul we really appreciate it and of course i've thoroughly enjoyed hearing all your stories today can you just give us a quick reminder of your contact details should people want to get in touch with you <laughs> just in case there's someone who doesn't know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well basically i've got dozens of websites probably probably the best one is uh, my website is jobsinkent.com um but uh, the, the best thing for finding out what i'm doing is the radio site which is bizradio.co.uk that's b-i-z radio.co.uk yeah well thank you paul um you're also obviously producing this Mm. podcast as well which we thank you for so um i think we've had lots of good takeaways and i think that mine will always stand out as the the good advice that you got in those early Mm. days and do you think that that's going to be relevant for still relevant for children's day do you know what i think it's even more relevant than it ever has been because the rate of change is such that you really you know you really have to keep on top of how things are changing mm. and, and the way things are changing. And it, it's changing much quicker than it used it to do back in my yeah. day. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so I think it's much more important now that rather than acquiring a skill set you uh, of hard skills, it's having the acuity skills to, to move with whatever's happening and yes. change what yeah. you're doing and, and, and approach things in a new way. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. A key takeaway for me mm. is what you're saying about asking questions. Mm. I think many of the young people are at risk of a, a generalisation, but they think that they can do it all themselves and they don't 
they they feel that they don't need to ask anybody. Whereas yeah. I was always be saying, you know, ask questions, ask questions. Yeah. Even if you think you know, ask a different question. Absolutely, it's it's one of the interesting things about working with technical people. A lot of technical people think they ought to know the answer to everything. Yeah, and you don't need to. You can't possibly anyway. Mm. You just mm. can't possibly. What you need is the ability to go and find it. Yeah, yes, that's right. yeah. and to and, ask the right questions. And ask the right questions. Yeah. And for me, Google was invented for me. It, it, they they sat down and they said, "How can we make Paul's life complete? <laughs> we're we're going to invent Google." I know they did. They did because it, it's perfect for me. Uh, thanks very much, Google. Yeah, pleasure. <laughs> and Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. All that remains is to give thanks to, of course, Paul. Uh, double thanks for being our guest and also for producing the show. Um, to Paul Cheese for our fantastic jingle. And and to Isla for being a fab- fabulous co-host. And if you would like to just keep in touch with us at The Business Diaries, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at The Biz Diaries. And please do give us your feedback. We love hearing from you. Enormous thanks, of course, go to you, the listener, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and you'll join us for our next podcast. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this edition of The Business Diaries. We would love to hear your feedback. Please find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Biz Diaries.